morning. Happy Sabbath. Good to see all of you. Good to see you, Jordan. <laughs> it's good to be back. And uh, this is my third last, uh, fourth last week, third last week here. I'll be gone 1st of April. And you're at a point where where you're going is crazy. And you need some affirmation. And of all people, this week, one of my friends who live in Philadelphia um, came back. And he's like, James, we should meet up for lunch. And then, sure, meet up for lunch. Uh, lunch at 2 p.m. And because um, his kid is uh, at school and all that, he's a dad with two kids. And he's a Muslim. He's a Muslim guy. And we met up over lunch, and I told him my crazy plans to move to Hong Kong. And he looked at me, and he goes, did you pray? He's Muslim, right? He's not Christian. So I did. Did you, did you seek peace with God? Like, I did. Then I will tell you what I'm impressed to tell you. I said, what? Because God says, go. And I'm like, you were in Philadelphia. And, he, and he's like, I don't know. God impressed me to meet up with you. And God says to tell you, go. And I'm like, okay. I'm getting confirmation from Christians and my Muslim friends. So that gave me peace. Gave me encouragement to go like, okay. Maybe crazy, but God likes crazy, so let's go crazy. Um, so I'll be leaving 1st of April, and it's not a joke. <laughs> it's not April's Fool's joke. But we're in the, in, the, in the midst of looking for the new pastor. So pray for the candidate, whoever it is, that they will recognize whether they are a right fit for us. Because sometimes we're like, we want to find the right pastor. Right, right. They may not realize they may not fit us well, and so they need to help them recognize. God will have to speak to them to have them realize whether they're the right fit for us. And not just that it's awesome to serve in ASDAQ. They have so much good things about us. And in Singapore, they want to come here. That shouldn't be the reason. Is whether they'll be the right pastor for us. And then pray for the search committee. They have a huge job of going through the, the tons of uh, CVs coming in from everywhere with every kind of candidates. And they have to like discernment. They have to look through it to know who and what to... They don't want to get rid of the right person and also don't want to, to choose the wrong person. So it's not an easy job. So pray for them. And then pray for eventually when they narrow it down that, that things will happen, that we can, we, can, we can get this person, either a local person or an international person, that the visas and all that work out. Right? There will be some challenges there, the administrative side that will work out. But in the meantime, I know the team here. I know the ASDAC team. I know they are, we are, we're going to be in good hands. I know the elders who have been serving, uh, they, are, they are great people. I know the, the youth, the young adults and everybody, the music team, the deacon, deaconesses are, are a great team. In fact, I'm looking forward. I'll be still watching online the, the sermon by the elders in, in, in May and the young adults who are continuing their training with me. Uh, that's the graduation test is the sermon, yeah, in June. Um, I think they'd be great preachers, you know. I think they'd be great preachers. So pray for the, the young preachers, the old preachers, the new preachers, that they'll be able to connect with God and to share with you the message God is showing them. Today, I'm talking about the new way. How many of you have ever been punished with this punishment? Writing lines, yeah, writing lines. Come on. Now, now how many lines was your, like, the most you've ever been asked to write? Oh. <laughs> oh my goodness. 
<laughs> that that wins. <laughs> what did you do, man? <laughs> uh, oh, it's just from your mouth. <laughs> How long did it take you to finish all the lines? Oh, good job. Good job. Mine was 500. Right, was 500. You win. Double. <laughs> Don't do it again, though. Not, not worth it. <laughs> um, yeah, like, you know, different lines, and then you, you write and you repeat, and you write. My friend was a genius. Right? So you write on a full scale paper, right? And this, like, line is exactly the same distance from each line to another. He tied five pencils together. And then he wrote it at the same time. Smart, eh? Irritating. Guess what he is today? Guess what job he is today? He's an entrepreneur. Yeah, making big bucks. One of the first guys to sell mobile phones in Singapore. Right? So, but that's a, a punishment. Right? We're made to do it, and every letter we write is like torture. It's not fair, man. Why am I being punished? Like we hate the rules. We hate the person who gave us that and make us write those lines. Now, how many of you have done this? I love you. 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 Back in my days in primary school, right? It was a thing. Like if a guy, remember primary school, primary six. 12 years old, if you like a girl, you can't just tell her. There's no sincerity. you got to earn it. Before you can express your love, to show the extent of your love for this person, you must write at least 100 times, I love you. Then you pass to the girl. And then you say, would you go to the canteen with me? Have a drink with me, on me. Soy milk, no problem. Coke, Sprite, also can. <laughs> so old school, man. To confess, I think Tiffany doesn't even know. I did one of these things. I wrote. I wrote not only 100 to prove my sincerity. I wrote 200. Every word I wrote. So with a big smile. Her name is Mary. She lives across from my block. Every day she walks to school, I watch her, and I try to like, get ready quickly to chase and catch up with her and go, hey, oh, hey, we leave the house at the same time. Huh? Uh, they don't know what happened when we went to secondary school. Just, just. But I wrote it. I was inspired. I wanted to write it. Nobody had to force me. I wrote it quickly. I wrote it nonstop. I didn't complain. I was smiling. Same action. Writing alphabets on paper. Different attitude. Because one was a punishment, was expectation, was arbitrary. One was just self-motivated by love. Very same act. Different situation. We're going to go to Exodus 34 as we're going through the scripture, going through the journey of the Israelites leaving Egypt. And we're going to skip. We'll skip to 34. And we're going to go back. It's just because this 34 just fit in really beautifully after the Ten Commandments. Because this is the rewriting of the Ten Commandments. Next week, we'll find out what happened to the original Ten Commandments. 
But here we're at a point where God had to rewrite the Ten Commandments. And I invite you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 34, verse 1 and verse 2. And there's some things, some, some subtle things that you need to take note of where there's a change. It's a little different from the initial first Ten Commandments when it was given. The whole process is a little different. Even the wording, some extra stuff was added and some was removed. And so if you turn to Exodus chapter 34, verse 1 to 2, it reads, The Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first. Exactly the same, you know? I'll show you the picture. It's this rounded thing. I don't even know what is exactly that's this rounded top. I don't know where that came from. Because honestly, if I'm Moses, up in the mountain, with at the most like a chisel and a very rustic hammer, I won't really like, chisel this circular top. I think that was more like Roman thing that it imposed on the Israelite Egyptian drawings. It's probably just, too, even making two flat tablets was not easy. Have you tried chiseling stones? No, just two. You try to like flatten it. It's hard. You have to choose the right rock, right? So he made cut two, two stones and then God says, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Who broke the tablets? Moses. We'll look at it why, right? I'll tell you next week. But he broke it. But there's no punishment for breaking the tablets, which he broke the Ten Commandments, literally. God didn't really punish him. Maybe he did. We'll look at it next week. But he broke it. And then he says, you broke it. You write it. You carve the stone again. Verse 2, be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai. So he says, go back. You may need help. You may need help. You may need your, your people, the, 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 the stonesmiths, to help you cut this rock. And then come back up to see me. So go away, prepare, and then come back and see me. That's right. Okay. I'll go down. Get, cut, get ready in the morning. And present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. So that's this process. So he goes, God's giving this instruction. He says, go and get it cut. He goes down, get it cut, get it prepared. He brings it down early morning, comes to me early in the morning, carry these two tablets, go up into Mount Sinai. He stands before God. It's easy to miss a very critical point. This is a human being who is visiting God as we visit one another? I'll see you tomorrow, man. See you tomorrow, Moses. Tomorrow morning, we'll meet each other. It's like we call a friend and say, hey, we haven't seen each other for a while. Let's have, let's have breakfast. Let's, have, let's go to Yakun. It was that kind of an interaction where go, go prepare, come back, I'll see you tomorrow. How many of us have that relationship with God? How many of us treats God as though He exists? Many of us come to God and go, this Bible, this Bible, this Bible is where God is and He's hidden in the words and I could like, He's, he's hidden inside, I have to find Him from these words. And those things are, are not real. It's just a, a, a information that I store in my brain. It's a knowledge. It's this, it's this interaction with data and not with like God. It's like I just accumulate more knowledge 
And that means I know him. It's not the same. It's not the same. There must be a choice, a decision, a moment where it becomes real. Last week, I had the privilege to pray for a brother. For those who do not know, please keep the family in prayer. Auntie Lily's brother, Colin, Adeline, dad passed away last night. But I had a privilege on Tuesday when we, we prayed, and I could see his belief in Jesus all his life. He's followed Jesus until he brought him to church at 18 years old. But last Tuesday, you could see that decision that now God is real. It's not like something miraculous happened that suddenly he was healed. No, no angel landed on his, no dove landed on his head and just miraculously lightened him up. Nothing happened. But he, there was a change. There was a switch from God being a knowledge, a thing that I know, a person I, I just think of to become real, a reality, somebody I want to commit my life to. Don't wait till that moment for all of us who still have a lot more time with God. Who is God to you? How do you interact with Him day by day? Is it... Once in a while, you think of him, I'll listen to a pastor's sermon. I think of him, I'll listen to a little spiritual song, and I'll listen to a little devotion about who Jesus is, or a little talk. Is that how you interact with him? Or is he real, and does he exist? And I may ask the question, after 10 years of serving as a pastor in this church, like, who is God? Is this just the name, the, the branding you use to do just make people listen to you for an hour every Saturday? Is it a God you worship where his, his communication may sometimes compel you to make decisions that doesn't make sense? To do things that's beyond common sense sometimes, but it's the right thing to do. Where God will interact with you through various means and even ask a, a Muslim friend to confirm his message to you because you are doubting his, his, his choice for your life. Who is God to you? I've been asking that question since my sermon all throughout this, this quarter. Who is God? And we come back where God is trying to tell us who He is. Verse 6 to 7. And so Moses met God. He cut two stones. He went up to the mountain and uh, he was excited to, to, to commune with God and and. and the Lord, I'm going to go verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. God just stood with him there. Don't you want that? Or would you be afraid of God's presence coming into your life in such a powerful and real way? Would you, would you say, God, just... In fact, that was the, the reaction of most of the Israelites. When they saw the lightning and the thunder first come upon Mount Sinai, they're like, I'm not going to go there. Moses, you go. Because they didn't have that relationship with God. They, no, Moses do, does. He sees God on a daily basis. He wouldn't die. I might die because I actually I don't really know who God is. See, God doesn't want to kill us because we don't know Him. But sometimes our fear will drive us away from Him and that kills us because you're going away from life itself. 
And so he went, the Lord descended, and, and verse 6, verse 6, is this your God? The Lord passed before him and proclaimed. So the God, God introduced himself again to, to Moses, who kind of knows God already. He goes, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Most people think it's God self-introducing. But as I said before, God is, exists in a trinity because that's how love has to exist beyond one individual. You know how I picture it, actually? Because there's another part of this whole story Moses talking about God, when God says, don't look at me, you die. And it is God who stands beside us. Like, it seems that there's two entities. I can't prove it with this short five minutes. Of, but I think this is how it works. That God the Father was the presence in the cloud and the lightning and thunder. And Jesus, before he was known as Jesus, came down and stood beside Moses. And he introduced God. He may look frightening, all that loud noise and the lightning flashing lights, but the Lord telling Moses in a like friend and brother expression, the Lord, the Lord, a God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for how many? For thousands, forgiving iniquity, and transgression and sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children on the third and fourth generation. And then we get stuck on that. But do you read it properly? Do you realize that visiting the iniquity on the, on the children to the children, the third generation, is a, a part of his steadfastness for a thousand? I don't know why, but we always position ourselves as that three, four generation of sinners. That God's trying to like visit the equinity and the sin on us, the punishment for three or four generations. And we neglect that we actually belong to the thousand. Because justice, true love demands that the perpetrator of that sin be removed from your life. Imagine if you get physically abused on the street, as you walk out of Azdag, somebody's waiting because they hate you for coming to church. And you walk out, and for no rhyme and reason, they beat you up, and you end up in a hospital. And God comes and says, oh, come on, let's forgive him. But he hasn't changed, right? So he's still very violent. And this guy, you recovers, and God allows him to just wait for you at the door again, Sabbath after Sabbath after Sabbath. You think God loves you? Will you think God loves you a lot? If you touch Lucas, God doesn't need to act. I will act on behalf of God and remove the guy from the front of my, my, my church. I will put him in, in lockup. I will bring the police to him. I will lock him away until he changed. And when he changed, when he says, I'm so sorry, James, for doing what I did. I want to come back to church. I'll say, come in. But don't go near those people you beat up because they're still scared of you. You need to earn their trust and respect back. But you're allowed to sit in this church. But if you're still beating people up every day, you got to stay away. God's love, God's justice demands that He prevents the sinner 
from continuing in his sin because other people suffers. Do you want God's, a God like that? Or do you want a God just like, let's love, let's just forgive, give chance. Lah. If you don't like that part, I love it. I love the fact that God is powerful enough to protect us. And why third and fourth generation? You just need to read through a scheme through the Old Testament to realize that it's not just him being arbitrary on the third and fourth as a punishment extension. No, the fact is, all, most of the time, the sin of the father, the bad habits, the way of his life carries on. And the children, unfortunately, by the influence, acts the exact same way or even worse. He's actually telling us a fact, not a punishment. He's telling us a fact that what you do as parents affects your children and your grandchildren. It comes down. So be careful of how you live your life. And it takes generations to change something that is really stuck in the family. I'm Hakka. Hakkanin. And we're known to be very, very stingy as a people. And man, this thing has been going for hundreds, sorry, thousands of years. We've been stingy for thousands of years. You want to change? Very difficult. Very, very difficult. Because it's not only genes, genetics. It's the teachings, the philosophy of life. My grandfather used to say, if you have one dollar, you spend 10 cents for food. They're like, Grandpa, then, 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 clothes, how? Where your dad's? I'm like, I can't fit. Ask mommy to alter. And a grandpa can spend 20 cents. But because I'm a grandson, can. I get 10 cents just by being a grandson. Because why? Because Hakka people are also very bias on boys. Also for thousands of generations. Inherited by behavior, by life, living day to day. And so my family, I didn't inherit that. I reacted against that. I'm not stingy. Just because I'm naughty. But somebody in my family, I shall not name, continued that legacy. <laughs> Strongly and powerfully, even in his looks. He looks most like my grandpa. And my dad, you know, that line continues. No talk about that. All right. <laughs> so God is saying that this covenant, this, this covenant is written by a father who loves you so much. And there's so much goodness. And he's explaining to you, that's the way of life. Let's continue. Verse 27 and 28. Remember at the beginning, God says, I will write. I'll write these words on the stone tablets in verse 1 and 2. And then he comes, he goes through the whole detail of what it is to write. And at the end of the details, he goes in verse 27, he tells Moses, And the Lord said to Moses, write these words. Wait, what? God says he will write. And then now he's asking Moses to write. So what is it? Did the Bible make a mistake? Did God, make a, did, did God forget? 
that he was supposed to write. But yet here he's clear in verse 27 and said, Write these words, for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. Who's writing? What is he writing? So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. There's so much to write. No, he wrote and then he hung out. He neither ate bread nor drank water. Reminds you of somebody? 40 days and 40 nights, didn't eat, didn't drink. New Testament. Jesus. And he wrote on a tablet the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. He actually wrote for 40 days and 40 nights, nonstop. And I think this is what happened. Ten Commandments, he said, exactly as the old Ten Commandments, we know what it is. In Exodus 20, we were clearly given what was written. And then there's this extra footnotes. Because I would imagine as Moses, who the guy who wrote the original Ten Commandments, where I think God wrote the ten exactly. That's what he said in verse 1. I'll write what I wrote in the first tablet. The original. But then Moses is like, God, can you help me? What does it mean? So for the next 40 days, Moses sat at the feet of God and he journaled the rest, detailed explanation of how it applies to my life and how it means and how should I implement it. That's why today, as Seventh-day Adventists, we follow the Ten Commandments. We don't follow exactly everything in the Levitical law. But those are details journaling, contextual to their time, which they took time to understand and explain. And Moses took 40 days asking God to clarify. It's like class. You take notes in class. So the prof will say something, and then you're like, okay, the prof said that. What does it mean? And then you get guys who raise their hand. If they're not Asians, they raise their hands. If they're Asians, they keep quiet. Any questions? Then later after class, hey, what, what did you just say? What did, what did they mean? All right, that's a question. And so you take notes, you write, you compare notes, or you copy notes. Hey, can I borrow your journal? You wrote a lot of notes just now, right? Thanks, right? Um, you do stuff like that, and you write down those questions, and you get coming to understand that like, God wants the way to live my life in this way, and that's my side of the covenant. But you, you can get distracted so much so by your own notes that you forget the original point. God had to give the Levitical law just to help them understand contextually how to apply day to day. Remember, they were slaves for 400 years, and they didn't understand how to live life as free men. We are no better. We've been slaves to sin all our lives. And now as we accept God into our lives, as we accept the new arrangement of Him telling us what is the best way to live, we need to ask Him again in our context, what does it mean, God? So we ask God, God, who are you? Then we need to ask, what does it mean? Don't just ask it generally for like ASDAG or for Singapore. Ask it for yourself. What does it mean for me? When God says, thou shalt not make unto thee any idols in heaven or on earth, or anything that is under it, or anything that I like, what does that mean? God, God says, don't worship your job or your role as a pastor. Now give it up. But God, I spent 10 years building the church the way that you called me to. God says, now give it up. I'll send somebody else. You're not indispensable. But more importantly, you are not your job. You are my child. Your identity is not a pastor. Your identity is you're a son of God. You're my son, number one. 
which I may have forgotten many times while serving. Who are you? Who is God? What does it mean? Who are you? Who are you? Verse 29. When Moses came down from the Mount Sinai with the two tablets of testimony in his hand, do you realize not Ten Commandments anymore? The testimony? Personal experience, witness, testimony. In his hand, he came down from the mountain. Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. He was a walking spotlight. God says, be ye the light of the world. He never tells us how. Here. He was like so blinding, so bright. He didn't even realize he was that. And what happened before that? He spent 40 days, 40 nights, not eating, not drinking with God. The sustainer, originator of life. Paul, talking about this exact incident in Old Testament, because the words were exactly the same. The, the, the words that he used, just pointing to this story, he says in 2 Corinthians 3, 18, and we all, all of us, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. If you read the Exodus story, Moses was so bright after talking that he has to veil his face, cover it up, because he was so bright. And Paul, invoking this story, which is such a powerful memory in the Israelites' lives, says, remember Moses, you can be like him. Have you ever tried to share the gospel and you don't feel like you're powerful? Because you're trying to use your own light. Literally, this little light of mine. But God says, I'm going to make you a spotlight. And the only way to be bright and shiny is to reflect my light. How do you reflect my light? Well, sit down with me. Be with me. Jeremiah 31 verse 3 verse 4. Before our scripture reading in 33 today, the Lord appeared to him from far away. He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I've continued my faithfulness to you. And verse 4, part 1. He says, again, I will build you. You shall be built, O virgin Israel. Have you been trying to build your own light? Have you tried to earn your own credit with God? Have you tried to be earn your own way to heaven? God is like, you got it wrong, guys. I will build you. And you don't even realize when it happens. It happens as you spend time with me. And go, for this covenant, this is the covenant. Again, pointing back to this exact story. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Those days was... Chapter 34, Exodus days. Declares the Lord, I will put my law within them. I will write, see, same language. I will write the tablets. I will write the Ten Commandments. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. People ask, 
Well, if God does everything, what is my job? What am I supposed to do? There's only one thing you need to do. Give permission. Give permission to God to have full access into every single aspect, the dark hidden corners of your life, and allow His light to shine. And sometimes when the light shines in that part of your life to confront it, it is painful and might even be shameful. But God says, give me permission and I will transform you that you'll be shining from every single part of your life. Your work is to give permission. This is just a few days ago. Uh, we were walking. Whoever know where this is, go find it. You get a prize. <laughs> so you can see Lucas, takes, when he takes photos, he does this. I've never taught him that. He sits on the bus. I don't think my wife intentionally taught him that. But because he sees people doing this, whenever you take photo, your hands has to come up. You only have, can show two fingers. It's a rule. It's a law. And so he started doing it. He adds something else of his own flavor. He will say, ching! Because he saw some shining lights when you take photo. I don't know what happened. We didn't teach him. And there are many things that I realized when I look at Lucas that he learned. I didn't teach him. The good and the bad. There are things that is just me. I just look at him and like, that's me. I didn't teach him that. But I lived it out in front of him. I acted that way on a daily basis. And when he sees that, he inherited it from interacting with me. Hopefully more good. So I'm more intentional. I catch myself more and more nowadays, that I want to sh just live my life as a good person because I want him to inherit the good, not the bad habits that I inherited and I formed. It's called osmosis, right? It just happened. It just, he just started doing it. And the more I catch him, the more I catch myself acting like my parents. And I'm, I am them. When they treated me that way, I'm treating him this way because I, that's how I got treated growing up. I, I want to stop it. The good one, I want to continue, but the bad things, I just want to stop it. Because I didn't like that, but now I'm doing the exact same thing. i got to stop. So awareness is good to catch yourself. But so is it with God. You don't earn faith or make faith. You grow faith. And growing faith comes by being in the presence of God continuously, consistently, catching it. You catch faith. You don't actually know you have faith until times of testing come. Moses was a key example of a person going through faith, journeying from level of glory, degree of glory to glory. That at the point, the final few moments of his life, he was shining on a daily basis like God. That the people were like, you are almost God. Can you please veil, veil yourself out? We can't face you. It's too much. So as that, my encouragement, admonishment, is for you to learn to do the thing that's very counterintuitive, counter-society counter all philosophy of 
hustle to rest in him, to sit with him, to be changed by him. Let us stand for our closing song. Father, we know that we don't even need to invite the Spirit here because the Spirit is already here. But may you help me and everyone here to give permission for the Holy Spirit to have free reign in my life, in our lives, to change us and transform us from degree of glory to degree of glory, that we will reflect Jesus more and more, and for those around us to become a blessing of light to them. We submit all these people here and myself into your hand, Lord, we pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated.